0: So here's, here's the thing I wanted to disclose to you straight up. I may be the only person of our general age range that has not seen Mad Max. Oh my goodness. Washington State Podcast. Here's your host Scott Cowan. So I am with Dee today at Mad Max Cars and so Dee I want you to tell our audience well Mad Max Cars kind of gives it away but why don't you share with us
1: what it is you guys are doing here and how you guys got started in this. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of a fun story. So Mad Max cars in general is a movie and TV replica car builder. So in, in for those who are not into that particular hobby, what we do is we build um, show quality replicas of the cars you've seen in movie and films, typically hero cars. So like that, I mean, kit from Knight Rider, the General Lee from Dukes of Hazzard, Eleanor from Gone in 60 Seconds, although we don't actually do that one because there's some legal issues there. Um but that's an example of what I'm talking about. Okay. Um you know those those sort of things, the Starsky and Hutch what they call the striped tomato, their Grand Torino that they drive or um you know the uh the the 67 Mustang from Bullet um or uh, Greased Lightning or the delorean time machine from back to the future or the ecto one from ghostbusters or of <laughs> course our signature build which is the uh, mad max's pursuit special or interceptor kind of interchangeably uh, depending on where you're at in fandom uh, the black on black um car that he drove in mad max one mad max two and then briefly in mad max fury road more recent one so those are the kind of vehicles we build we also build parts uh for cars so that other people can build their own replicas so we supply parts and we've also been importing australian muscle cars since the late 90s which is kind of how we got our start um i can go into that story that would be kind of the next thing yeah so when we talked on the
0: phone and you know you said you imported australian muscle cars i was like I didn't know there was muscle cars from Australia. I'm not a big car guy. So here's here's the thing I wanted to disclose to you straight up. I may be the only person of our general age range that has not seen Mad Max. Oh my goodness. Ever. Okay. So so when you're when you're talking about the show, and so full disclosure, less than five minutes ago, a guy was here in in the shop where we're at, and he was walking by and saw your car out front right and so he rang the doorbell and he gave us a tour of the of the workspace and all that and you guys are talking in in, in code you know, and I, I was kind of <laughs> laughing because I'm going I have no clue. I mean I know what the cars look like because I've se- you know you can't have lived in in America with a television
1: set and not seen some little snippet of Mad Max right but so you know but I've never watched the movie. Well, don't feel too bad. You're not the only person I've ever met. I would say it's few and far between. Yeah. Um, but considering the uh, you know, the genre that I work <laughs> in and in the uh, the car hobby, um, you know, you could easily say that I'm probably not going to be as often exposed to people who don't know about it. Right. And um, so, and so for me, this first.
0: is fun because I don't really know like your car you were sharing is the, you know, one of the bad guys car. And then, right. right, Okay. So I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. You could have, you could have lied to me and said that that was Max's car. And I would have, Oh, okay. (laughs) So, but what I do want to unpack here. So when, when we started talking, you said you guys started importing Australian muscle cars, right? And I, once again said, I didn't know Australia had a muscle car, um,
1: culture. They do. Yeah. So what, yeah. How did this how this come about? Well, you know, um, I have not really deeply studied the entire Australian automotive culture. Um, but, you know, going back to the 50s, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of their cars just because I have uh, mates that are uh, from Australia and live in Australia. OK. Um, and, uh, you know, by the nature of what we do with the Australian cars, I've been exposed to quite a bit of, of Australian um gearhead culture if you want to call it that so um obviously they've been making automobiles you know nearly as long if if not uh longer than america has you know really um so okay. you know they, they go back to to that same time period you know um uh, automotive technology kind of developed in most of the industrial age countries roughly the same time. And there's a little bit of argument who invented the first uh, one. I'm not going to get into that here because I'm not super knowledgeable in that area, but, but, uh, but yeah, roughly around the same time within 10, 20 years, everybody was making internal combustion and or electric cars, which were actually a lot more prevalent in the early years of the automobile than they, than they are even now, as far as percentage wise. Uh, well, maybe we're starting to rifle it finally, but, okay. Um, so um and each country I'm sure engineers and enthusiasts of automobile shared information across and technology across but in in the sense of uh, aesthetic everybody's um car culture developed a little bit separately how and they got used and what their uh, what developments were made and those things got shared across but basically what happened in Australia was um they were Building some of their own cars, I believe, in the early days, but mostly they had other American car companies and, uh, you know, English car companies producing cars with factories in Australia. Okay. Um, The muscle car era specifically, they had Holden, which is GM down there, General Motors. It's kind of uh, like a Chevrolet equivalent almost, although most of the cars there were unique going way back. Mm -hmm. Um, They have Chrysler down there. And uh, I'm sure they had CKD or what they call complete knockdown cars early on, which is where cars are shipped in pieces in a crate or, you know, partly disassembled and they get assembled in the country. Um, So it starts that way. Then eventually when they have enough um, demand for cars, you know, they start uh, uh, building their own, which are usually based on, at least in the case of Ford, uh, were based upon American designs. The Ford Falcon in particular is kind of was their central main vehicle that they built. Um and uh, uh, so as that went on, you know, the all the Chrysler had muscle cars. They had a cool Charger that you won't see anywhere in America that looks unique. It has uh, they even developed a six cylinder Hemi engine that they had in their uh, in their Chargers. The Holden had the Monaro, which has kind of some vague similarities to a Camaro. Um, you know, sort of maybe a Camaro crossed with a Nova or something like that. They're cool cars. Okay. Uh, hopefully I'm not offending any, any Aussies or any other, uh, gearheads out there by making that analogy. But for people who've never seen a Monaro, they're, they're a cool car that looks like an American muscle car in the aesthetic and design. You can kind of see the, the influence of that muscle car culture, which is shared in America and Australia and almost nowhere else in the world as far as the manufacture. Um, and, uh, you know, so so all of these manufacturers are down there and particular to what we do, um, the uh, the uh, um, Ford factory down there, um, Ford was selling the Falcon was their most popular vehicle down in Australia. So when America stopped making Falcons um, in the late 60s, early 70s, basically, mm-hmm. um, they left Ford Australia with no mark to sell that was their most valuable uh, asset down there. So they started designing their own. And hence we have the, the Falcons that um, were used in the Mad Max movies were basically that first generation of the unique Ford in Australia. So
0: those are like early seventies cars.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: So you guys started importing those cars. Yes. And, at this, when you started importing them, were you doing these conversions, or were you just being an, an automotive importer of interesting Australian cars to Washington and you know the United States?
1: So yeah, so when uh, when it started, uh, essentially we were started by by a gentleman named Terry uh, who lived in Texas. And he was importing the cars uh, he started by. He wanted to import one for himself. That's kind of how almost everybody's story starts here <laughs> is they they were influenced by Mad Max. Most of America's fascination with Australian muscle cars can be traced to Mad Max crossing over. Um, and we'll get into that, I'm sure, later. But yeah. but so this gentleman named Terry wanted a car. And so he started working on importing one and met a young gentleman who was a teenager at the time over there who scouted and found him a quality car and helped him get it exported over here to America. And some of his friends heard that this was going on and it spread a little bit. And eventually he kind of started a little website and, and started importing these cars, not doing any conversions, just port in, importing Australian muscle cars, primarily the Falcons. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that, that got popular enough that uh, he needed some help doing it. And it made more sense to have somebody like on one of the coasts near like a port um, to get them to Texas. They have to come into a port and then go overland. Um, a little ways to get to where he was generally because the, these imports, usually they come in mostly on the West Coast, but sometimes on the East Coast into the, the ports on the coast there. Sure. So, um, my, my now business partner, Troy was doing something very similar to what I was doing and looking on the internet and found, uh, you know, found this guy who was importing Australian Ford Falcons and contacted him and, through a, a short association, it made sense for him to be the guy here in the Seattle-Tacoma area that was working on getting the cars in from the port, port getting them ready to ship out and arranging overland transport to people. So he partnered with Terry. Um, and that's right around when I met Troy. I think he'd been working with Terry for maybe a year at most when I came along looking for a car myself. So I came to Mad Max Cars as a client. And, uh, that's kind of how all that happened. And you liked a,
0: it so much that you bought the company, that old Victor Kayam Razor thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically
1: that was it. Yeah. I, I came looking for a car. I bought a car. And the joke that I perpetuate around the shop is they haven't been able to get rid of me since.
0: Ah, okay. um, Troy
1: eventually asked me to be a partner. Um, but, but at the time I came and joined the company, one of the, uh, one of the customers we were importing a car for asked, well, will you, will you, build a replica for me so it started as an importer strictly then we moved into making replicas and that's a whole story in itself there okay um which i mean i could go on (laughs) i think
0: well i think we're gonna go there but so all right so when you guys i'm gonna okay how do i want to ask this question so when you started importing these cars are they Fairly common in Australia. Are, are they becoming more difficult to find? I mean, they're, they're seventies era cars. There's time is not kind to automobiles. So absolutely are these becoming, kind of becoming garage finds now or barn finds or are these like. If I looked outside here, where we're at today, I'm going to see a you know 100 Toyota Camrys in about a three minute window. Are they? They're not that common,
1: right? No, absolutely not. So Australia is is interesting. There's some differences from the way American uh, manufacturing works. Part of it is that there's a lot lower population there per capita, so um, so they didn't make nearly as many cars of any given year or model or whatever than you'd see in America. Right. So. Um, these Australian Falcons, if you count the sedans and the utes, which is kind of like a Ranchero or an El Camino, a little half truck, they call a oh. utility or a ute down there. So if you count the sedans, the utes, the station wagons, um, and they have a thing called a panel van, which is… It's so we'd call it a sedan delivery probably. Okay. Um but it's basically like uh, if you took a if you took an El Camino and put a big camper shell on it except it was all part of the body. Okay. Um so that that's what they call vans down there. They don't really have the box vans exactly the way we do. Uh and then these what we call the coupe or the hard top uh which is the one the Mad Max cars based on. If you took all of those they probably made, you know, 2 uh, 250 300,000 Uh, in a given year, you know,
0: still a lot of cars.
1: Yeah, exactly. Still Still a lot lot of cars, but just like in America, there's what I kind of call the Barrett Jackson effect. My, my, (laughs) my cleverly coined term, which it's my way of in, in shorthand describing the fact that nowadays there's no real middle ground of cars, you know, with any classic car, especially desirable ones, the ones that are available, that window is getting narrower and narrower. The prices are getting higher and higher. Well, that's going on. When I was a kid or even just 20 years ago, you know, uh, you could pr- find a car that was not too difficult to restore. There was some middle ground. Nowadays, any classic car almost, you've got the the, the wide ends of that spectrum. You've got cars that have been restored mm-hmm. and cars that are survivors that have been maybe always garaged and, and are still, you know, really nice, even though they haven't ever been restored. Then there's nothing in the middle till you get down to the cars that everybody's passed over the last 20, 30 years as being too difficult to restore. That's the pool of cars that's left to be restored these days. Okay. So, um, so that middle ground, that's where the term barn find comes in. That's my opinion is the reason why that's such a popular term is because that basically translates to, car that really needs restoration, but isn't going to be nearly as difficult as one that's been sitting in a field for 30 years, you know, or 40 or 50 (laughs) or what have you. So that barn find car is the one that's really filthy maybe, but a lot less work to restore. But that term's gotten so popular now that people won't even wash the dirt off of a car they find in a barn because that makes it more valuable, you know, in, in the short term, you know. But anyway, so yeah, suffice to say that It's the same story everywhere in the world. So in Australia, these classics are getting harder and harder to find. Okay. Um, We can still find them easily, but it basically means that they cost more and more money is what that boils down to. And your choices for a a replica build are going to be either you're going to spend a lot of money on them. To restore them or you're going to spend a lot, of, a lot of money to buy them and then tear them down and basically redo everything. So it's kind of a toss of the dice. Even ones that have been restored haven't always been restored very well and they might look beautiful. But Bondo sculpture is, a, is an art form that's taken over the world. So, uh, <laughs> you know. And uh, people do nasty tricks like put metal shavings into the Bondo so that you're uh, you have a little magnetic meter that can sometimes tell you how thick Bondo is. Well, if you put metal shavings in the Bondo, like we found sometimes on some of these restored, quote unquote, cars, um, you know, that it'll it'll fool you. You know, you can oh. tap on it and hear the thickness, maybe. But anyway, yeah, that's I guess that's the long winded way of saying that they're they're harder to get, they're more expensive and lately they've become a lot more popular. They were kind of not the most popular muscle car in Australia up until about 10, 10 12 years ago. So the prices have gone up not only cuz they're rare and harder to get, but also that they've really there's a car culture that's developed around them that really appreciate them in Australia re- deeply now a lot more than before. There was always a good Australian car culture based on those cars, but now there's a lot more people that appreciate them for what they are. So they get snapped up real quick. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a chore and it's more money to find them, but they're still there. So then you guys, so you guys started, guy asked you if you'd make a a car for him. And Mm -hmm. so you guys started this process
0: of making Mad Max cars. Absolutely. How much, I know this is an impossible question to ask or answer. I can ask it easy answering. It's gonna be tough. How long does it take you to build one of those cars? So, I mean, I, you know, depending on what you're starting with I is a yeah, huge yeah, variable.
1: Yeah. Both cost and time to build one varies quite a bit and it's based on a number of things. Uh, cost starts with how much did you spend on the car that, you, that your base car that you're building from. Mm-hmm. And then timeline kicks in from there and and is affected by all the same things, which is how rough is the car? You know, how mm. much restoration does it need to be a viable car to build from, um, and uh, and then what all does the client want? Do you know, do they want it to be something you can park over a mirror at a car show or is it going to be something you're going to drive every day? Are you going right. to take it to the racetrack or drive it on the streets of your town and on the highway sometimes or all of the above? Right. How expensive of a paint job do you want? You know, that's not only how much you're spending, but how much time somebody is sanding to make it perfect. Um, so the
0: one that's on the floor, mm-hmm. about how long is did that one take?
1: Um, well, so that one's not a, uh, not the best example because it's a car that it has some of our parts on it, but it was actually built by someone else and came here to okay. have upgrades. Okay. Uh, it belonged to the Volo museum in Chicago. And one of our good clients bought it from them and brought it to us to correct some stuff that wasn't movie accurate, build a, a new motor for it, put a new transmission in it, rear end, upgrade the brakes. Okay. So that wasn't yeah, So completely. but problem. to answer your question as directly as I can on an average timeline, Two years is probably about an average. Two years. Yeah. And I know if you are somebody who's watched shows like, uh, you know, uh, Fast and Loud, Gas Monkey Garage, or any of the other these other shows on TV, they might make you think you could restore a car in a week. A paint job doesn't even dry in a week. You need to be able to let it dry, sand it, paint it again. You know, if you're going to do a car right, it'll take you well over a week just to paint it you know. Wow. I so. had no
0: idea. Yeah. Cause I've watched a few of those shows, you know, and you're right. They, you know, they, in 30 minutes, they can take a, a, a bucket of bolts and turn it into something that looks pretty exactly. cool. And okay. that
1: might've been filmed over the course of a week or a month, but you know, yeah. they put these timelines into the dialogue. We've been on re- t- reality TV a few times and I can tell you it's nothing real about it. <laughs> the work we did was real, but the whole story and timeline surrounding it was all Hollywood manufacture.
0: So what was the first car? What Which, what was the first car you guys
1: made? So the first car we made was, uh, it was a 75, I think, um, XB GT. It's the only car we've ever built out of a real GT. I know there's a ton of people cringing because GTs are these extremely rare cars. There's only like, I think it's 926 XB GTs made over the course of four years. Okay. So rarer than a Shelby. Mm-hmm. Rarer than you know, maybe not quite as rare as a Hemi Cuda convertible, but you know, close, close. Okay. Um, so, but uh, it it was a GT that we imported. The guy specifically wanted to use a GT because it was important to him that the VIN number was a, a JG sixty six, which is a, a, you know, for those who are uninformed, that's the <laughs> the the prefix of the of the VIN number that says this was an a, a XB GT coupe. Wow. Right. OK. So anyway, so um, that that's kind of beside the point. But no, we've, we haven't. We don't encourage people using a GT. Nowadays, you'd probably have to spend an extra 60 or 80 thousand dollars and throw that down the tubes because you're taking away everything that makes it a unique car as a GT. Um, anyway, so he, he uh, had asked us to import this car and while it was on the ship over, he said, would you guys consider building the replica for me, a Mad Max replica? And we, we thought about it. At that point, I was just becoming a new, uh, uh, partner in the business. And, uh, we talked about it and, uh, and decided that we both had a ton of experience restoring other old Fords going back to high school. You know, so we were, you know, well versed in the art of automotive repair and restoration and that these cars were pretty similar. You know, we had found two Mustangs of the similar vintage or Torinos, uh, in the chassis and whatnot. They literally are on a Mustang Comet uh montego torino chassis so um so we said yeah we'll do it and uh we it was a client who uh, lives out in chicago really awesome guy he's he's a cop out in chicago i think he's actually a gang unit cop possibly if i remember correctly anyway so we're building this car for him we ordered at the time what was the um the best quality fiberglass mad max kit on the market according to everybody that we talked to we brought that in and it didn't fit the car at all it was like bent down on one side the nose cone was bent down like an inch and a half on one side and up like two inches on the other side uh, it didn't fit the car very well The, you know it just it was really poorly made piece of fiberglass and my business partner troy he comes from the aircraft industry where if anything is more than uh, you know a, a thousandth of an inch or two out of out of perfection then it's garbage so he spent a while trying to get this f- piece of fiberglass to fit and literally in a fit of frustration threw it over the back fence of the old shop that we were at into the brambles where I bet it still is today <laughs> down in Sumner. Um, and he called the client up and said, look, I can make these parts fit your car by cutting them up and, and reshaping them a little bit, but it'll never be right if you can be patient with me. Uh, which meant like probably a year or more of be patient before I can even start building. Mm-hmm. I will build new tooling and make new parts that fit the car. Right. Okay. And the guy said, well, I want it to be right. Yes, do that. And so that started not only building the replicas, but also building the, the parts that other people um, can use as well as we use to build these cars. And my part of that was I did a lot of research and helped get uh, companies that were, Either defunct or uh, didn't make an old vintage part anymore to make them again so that we could put them on the car or recreating stuff ourselves, that kind of stuff. So, and that's, that's kind of how it happened. It was, you know, way back in 2000, we built the car for this guy and it set us on the road to building a bunch more.
0: (laughs) What was your background? Before you got into this business, so what, what did you bring to the table besides the fact that you wouldn't leave the table, as you said earlier, you wouldn't
1: leave? <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, a, a ton of backyard mechanicing and shade tree mechanic skills. Okay. Um, my, uh, my auto shop teacher was a guy by the name of Al Young, who was, uh, uh um a drag race champion. Okay. Uh, when I was in high school, he was a NHRA and AHRA super stock champion at the time. Okay. Um, and had been champion several years in a row. And he was a really badass drag racer. I, I can say that, right? Yeah, you can say that. Very good. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, so I had a, a decent education to go on and background and my own experience in restoring cars, but my, um, my my background background was um uh music mostly music and sound engineer but i also as a day job worked in the photographic sign and reprographic industry so okay. uh recreating uh graphics for the vehicle okay. and uh you know and 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 so
0: you brought some other, uh, uh, dare I say, softer skills to to the equation. If you yeah, know. if you want yeah. to say that. But yeah. I also Design. been
1: in the entertainment industry, so customer service right. and uh, sure. answering emails and yeah. doing the phone calls and dealing with vendors. Right. So the so softer, all,
0: the softer, the people skills versus yeah, exactly. versus yeah. the, the people skills. Yeah. The wrench. Yeah. No, no disrespect to the guys. That are wrenching. Oh
1: well, we couldn't do it without them. We have an amazing staff, and that's you know there wouldn't that we I wouldn't have anything to do if it weren't for them. And they tell me vice versa. So I think we've got a good hybrid going on. But you know I throw down on the wrench too. Like for example, we get an Australian Falcon in to tear down to build a Max car. I've torn apart so many of them now that it's second nature to grab some tools and start tearing them apart. So I throw down when I can. But but yeah.
0: So twenty years ago, you guys started building the replicas, approximately. So let's flash forward to today. How many people are working here? Uh, 11. eleven. You have eleven people. Yep. Wow,
1: that's cool. Yeah, plus Troy and myself. So. So
0: there's thirteen people. You have eleven employees.
1: Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's not just because of Mad Max cars. You know, we uh, we also employ those same skills to restore. Antiques and classics and muscle cars now. So, plus, we build every movie car that there is as well. Right. So, um, I'm going to put
0: you on the spot, and this is where you're going to agree to let me drive that Roadrunner home. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, for the, since this is an audio medium, at the time we're recording this, there's a, is that a 69? 69 Roadrunner, yeah. Ah, it's just, trust me, it's it's gorgeous. um Anyway, I digress. So, let's talk the other movie cars. Or uh, actually, sure. I'm going to put you on the spot. Of all the cars you guys, make as a replicas mm-hmm.
1: what's your favorite my favorite your personal favorite oh my goodness it's probably the one that i drive
0: okay let's <laughs> um,
1: hear tell us about that i i mean uh, there there's several that kind of tie as second tier but but i ended up building the car that was probably my ultimate favorite um and that was uh, uh the red xa bat is what people call it or red xa wipeout um it's I don't think it was named in the script. There's very few cars that were named in the Mad Max scripts, but in Mad Max 2, for those of you who are familiar with the film, uh in Vision, um its most prominent scene was in the final chase. So this is a red car it's built out of an XA Falcon, so it's really similar to the Mad Max Interceptor. Uh the general body shape is is the same. Um but it's a it's a red car with a black roof. It's got a big tail fin on the back that's taller than the roof it's got uh side pipes on it just like Mad Max's car the four on each side side pipes except they're almost as tall as the roof it's got a uh an 8 uh an 8 input uh and uh, an, sorry an 8 uh, Eight tubes coming out of the, the hood that are basically like a Hillborn injection unit. It's not actually Hillborn injection unit. I'll get into that later if need be. But, uh, so that's sticking through the hood. It's got a big bat painted on the hood. It's got this huge air dam out in front, like a big cowcatcher wedge with, it with, does. uh, with, uh, floodlights on it. Uh, the r- ordinary headlights have been deleted by these black plates. Um, really, really super mean looking car. Um, but if you're familiar with the movie in the final chase scene with the tanker, they pull up next to the tanker. They pull the warrior woman's dead body that's hanging on the, 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 um, the, the barbed wire on the side off and throw it under the wheels of the, the tanker truck. Um, the passenger is while the other guy's driving. And then they come up, and they're coming up to to Max, where the door's been ripped off the tanker, and he's le- driving it with no door. And he literally gets out on the step with his shotgun and gives them both barrels through the windshield into the driver's face, who then obviously loses control because he's dead. The guy in the passenger seat's trying to drive it. It gets all out of control and squirrely he gets in front of the tanker, and the tanker rams through, and it, like, did it disintegrates as the tanker barrels through it, basically. And, you know, it goes off to the side and it bounces, bounces down the embankment or whatever. So that car <laughs> was the one – it was kind of an accident. I'll be honest. I, I always loved that car in the movie. But when I contacted Mad Max Cars, this is really how did I get to be Mad Max Cars also ties in so tightly with that car that I kind of have to circle back to sure. that a little bit. But obviously I fell in love with the Mad Max movies when I was a kid. Um, and I can go into that in more detail, but getting back to the car, um, I looked up Mad Max cars once the internet came out. I found out what kind of car it was when I was younger. But, uh, when, when the internet started to get popular enough that, you know, they had it at work. So first thing I ever typed into the internet was Mad Max car. No and way. It was the very first thing I ever searched for on a search engine was Mad Max. And I found that there was a website, madmaxmovies.com, which is still there. Huge, great source of information if you're a Mad Max fan, um, and found a bunch of people there who on a on a, uh, a chat board who were like minded fans, and it opened up this world of man. I'm not the only nutcase who loves Mad Max. There's millions of other people in the world. What do you know? Leave it to the internet. Um, and I stumbled across these guys, Mad Max cars, uh, through that because there was a thing that talked about who the different vendors were. I went to their website. Didn't have enough money to buy a car right then, but it got me thinking about buying one from Australia. So as I got a little money saved up, I called them again. Found out they were here, uh, here in in uh, kind of the Seattle Tacoma metro area. Called up, and the guy said, "Oh yeah, we have a few here for sale right now." Troy, who's now my business partner, and I'm looking into the phone, going, "Okay, I know where that is. That's about forty five minutes away." I put the phone back to my ear. I'll be there in half an hour. <laughs> So I roar down there and, and literally at that point, make a deal to buy a car. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. My thought was it was an XA that I bought because it was the most solid car, uh, was the best car for the money. And um, I knew that you could change the front sheet metal and build a Mad Max car out of it. So I bought that one as my donor car. But no sooner had I got it home than I'm looking at it and doing a little research. And I realized the XA Falcons are more rare than the XB. They're pretty unique. And I'm starting to love the design of it more than the regular XB as as far as just a stock version of the car. And so I'm starting to say to myself, what do I do? You know, what do I do with this car? I don't really want to knock it in the head and turn it into an XB, but then I can't have my interceptor. And then all of a sudden it clicked. That red car in the movie, that's an XA. And every time I see it get smashed, I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, dang it. I would have taken that car. (laughs) You know, so we started building that as a replica and debuted it at this event called Roadn war Northwest uh the very first one we put on was where it debuted and two thousand seven was when we had it finished so so you've had that almost fourteen years now yeah, yeah, amazingly
0: time flies huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah time flies. so i just to put into context so i was we're meeting here today at Mad Max cars, and I was early from another appointment, and I was sitting in my car and full disclosure I drive a a fully restored Honda pilot. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Everybody wants a Honda pilot. Anyway, no, no. And you pull up and I'm just like, what the heck? <laughs> and you're driving this car. And so it was, it was very cool that, uh, completely out of the blue to me, you, you, you show up in this, this car. And so, uh, it's the fact that you're driving and I think is awesome because one thing about cars, mm-hmm. I love to see them on the road. I love to see them being used. Uh-huh. You know, yes, it's it's cool to see a, you know, whatever, insert name, a pristine car. But it's also cool to like see see the car on the road.
1: They are meant to be driven. I love car museums. But the ones where the cars actually get driven um, and are, are primarily most of them drivable, those are the ones I love to see the most.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. So we started with the Mad Max cars. What was the next movie car that you guys – what was the – first non-Mad Max car you built a replica of.
1: Um, so the, f- the first non-Mad Max replica we built was, well, first of all, we, we started delving into the the villain cars first Okay, with my red XA bat. We've built a replica of, uh, the Lord humongous machine, which is, uh, in the second movie, it's a, it's a, it's a one seater, weird, uh, you know, six wheeled, mean looking, uh, uh, it's, well, it was a truck, but it's anyway. If you've seen the movie, it's the thing that Lord Humongous drives. It's this crazy, totally customized thing. We built that. We built the, uh, the pink, uh, 58 DeSoto. Um, and so those kind of things were sort of like our first getting outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we were doing that though, we'd already been restoring some stock vehicles for people because we had the facilities and the know how. Right. Um, and, and quite honestly, you know, we may be one of very few people who are building Mad Max replicas, but it's still a very niche hobby. Um, even in the movie car industry. So, okay. so it, we realized early on, if it was going to be any kind of a business more than a hobby, that we'd need to expand a little bit. And I, honestly, I don't think any, any of us ever started in this with the thought we were going to make a business out of it. It was all because we wanted a car for ourselves, or, you know, loved the hobby. Um, But once we started expanding out of that, we started, uh, we built a, um, greased lightning, I think probably would be the very first, um, non Mad Max replica that we built. Um, and for those who are familiar with the movie Grease, it's the dream sequence one that's got the clear plexiglass hood and okay. the, the red paint job with the white lightning bolts and the giant rear fins and the Palomino dashboard and all of that stuff, like he describes in the, in the song. Okay. Basically based upon the song, uh, you know, Grease Lightning. So we built that. Um, you know, but we've done quite a bit of other stuff. You know, we've, uh, we've, in fact, we're working on restoring a screen used Knight Rider car right now. Oh. So. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and that's, that's interesting. It's not actually from the, the 1982 through 86 series. It uh-huh. was used in the pilot movie for the 19, or sorry, the 2008, uh, reboot. Okay. Where the Mustang was the primary hero car, but okay. in the, in the, uh, in the, Uh, pilot movie, they have a 82 style Trans Am all done up like Knight Rider, but it's taken apart with parts hanging from the ceiling and a tarp over part of it and it's all disassembled and whatnot. Um, and, uh, and that car, um, got acquired by somebody and, and, uh, you know, they wanted to go ahead and restore it. Into a, into, a, um, you know, a, a night Rider. Replica. And so that's, you guys
0: are working on that. Now. Yeah, we're
1: working on that. We're doing a very for those of you who are sticklers about screen use cars, we're being very curatorial about it. We're preserving every little bit of provenance we can um, while taking it from what's barely more than a glorified stunt car as far as condition and completeness and putting all these parts that were hanging off from the ceiling near it into the car and uh, keeping as much as we could uh okay. to the originality of the screen used car while also making it a legitimate night rider uh you know complete kit. Okay. But uh but yeah we'll do we'll do the generally from Dukes of Hazard. We'll do uh you know we'll do um Sarsky and Hutch's Grand Torino. I mean all those ones I listed at the beginning, right. those are all ones that that, that we would do. So uh, we'd do Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or Herbie the Love Bug if somebody wanted us to. <laughs> I was
0: wondering if you'd do the truck from Beverly Hillbillies.
1: <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. 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 That one actually would be a really fun build. Uh, I've, uh, I've met George Barris and I've actually done a little studying of that car. So I know what it would take at least. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. if, somebody, if somebody asked me to build that, I would know where to start. So, I'd still have a lot of research so, to do. But. So
0: let me ask you this. I put you on the spot what your favorite car is. What Right now, as of today, what would be the – if you could build any car that you want – what would you want to build?
1: Oh, goodness. Um I like some really obscure cars. If I was going to if I was going to add another car to like my collection or or have my choice of customer walks into the door and wants you to build X, it'd be a toss up between a few things. I'd love to see us build a Corvette Summer Corvette. Um those are one that's if you don't know it, it's a Mark Hamill movie that he made right around the time he made Star Wars.
0: Yeah, I um, remember it vaguely. But. Yeah,
1: the crazy-looking custom Corvette that it's its one of those love-it-or-hate-it ones. Okay. Corvette purists probably think it's a piece of dog-do. Right. You know? um, but people who are movie car crazies or love custom cars or... You know, can forgive somebody for molesting a Corvette in that way. Um, then it's a, it's an amazingly cool car. So oh. it'd be that. Uh, there's a movie called The Wraith. Um, it's a Charlie Sheen movie. Uh, it's a crazy eighties movie. Okay. Um, the car they used in that, um, is actually a prototype, uh, uh prototype Chrysler vehicle called the M4S. It was a mid engine four cylinder sports car that, that they built. Uh, in conjunction with PPG, which is a paint company that they built to to do, uh, to do racing and pace car work and stuff like that to test out the, the mid engine platform basically and build their own kind of supercar was kind of the idea. So they built this one car and it got used in this Charlie Sheen movie called The Wraith, where he was sort of like, he was like this spirit back from the dead that kind of manifested as a car or as his kid on a motorcycle and went and killed the guys who killed him basically. Okay. Um, but really cool car. So, uh, that, or the other one, probably another big one would be the uh, black beauty from green Hornet. That would probably be one that I really love to see a replica of. Okay. How, uh,
0: now, now this is totally, these are all American cars you're saying, but how about, I mean, there new bond movies out. I always Love the Bond movies to see what they're driving because those
1: the Bond cars are kind of
0: cool. Do you guys do any? Do you do any um, of the British cars?
1: We haven't yet, uh, but we have a couple guys on our staff that are very familiar with them from owning their own and restoring their own. Yeah. Um, So uh, yeah, I'd actually I would love to do that. You know, if I was to have a pick of the Bond cars. I I'm tempted to say the the Lotus from The Spy Who Loved Me but I really like the DB5 from Goldfinger the best because oh, um, yeah. it's Batmobile level with all the gadgets that yeah. it has you know the yeah. bulletproof uh bulletproof uh thing <laughs> the ejection seat the guns <laughs> that pop out of it the changing license plate Yeah, you know all of that stuff so yeah the 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 Goldfinger DB5 that would probably be my Bond car That'd be fun, that right? I would pick all right. um yeah. Although you know that the Vanquish that he drove in, oh it's one of the the new the newer movies. Um I can't remember what movie it was in, but a buddy of mine has has a Vanquish just like that. One of our clients actually who's uh, got several Falcons we imported for him, he has a Vanquish also. That's just a beautiful car.
0: So I like I've said a couple of times I'm not a car guy and I'm just I'm just chuckling as you rattle off All of these, you know, (laughs) I say the bond car and you're giving me specific and I'm like, well, okay, I forgot there was a, oh yeah, that was a little." And I just think the bond car, you know, Mm -hmm. I just, anyway, so I laugh at that, but I'm, but as we're bouncing around, this is the part of the show where we just bounce around in Scott's brain. I'm looking behind you as a poster of a, of a DeLorean time machine.
1: Oh yeah. I love that one. That's one of my favorite movie cars of all time. So
0: what on earth did you guys have to do? do when you make a replica DeLorean time machine, what all gets added
1: to that thing? Oh, that that's actually a really, really long involved subject. Oh, Um, but uh, so it's, it's not super kind to the DeLoreans. I mean, it's pretty much reversible. I mean, other than you, you you tend to have to drill quite a few screw holes if you want to do it right. Mm -hmm. Like the movie did into the stainless steel panels. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, there's wires and and, and uh, there's um, everything inside the car. All of the the control panels and stuff that's all custom built, hand built stuff that you know prop shops built. So there's a lot of really good guys out there who build the props. One thing that's that's good for us uh, that gives us some versatility is we try not to reinvent the wheel. We're pretty stickler on our quality of stuff. So if there's a vendor out there who builds parts that are To our level of quality, um, why take business away from them? We'll, we'll buy the parts that meet our quality standards and not have to re-engineer and rebuild some of these things. We do a lot of the parts for the Mad Max cars, almost all of that in-house. But, 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 but maybe a, a something, DeLorean. You something like do. the DeLorean time machine. There's tons of people who make every part on there you know so there's a handful of guys who make them to the standards that we would like to see but you you got to put a flux capacitor in there which i mean there's you have got to fabricate a box and put a little window in it and you have to have a label maker to make the right labels and you have to the flashing lights are are you know uh, like a like a uh, um, a chase light that you have to get the right kind and there every little piece There, you know, there's little standoffs that the, that the lights are on. You know, if you know what the right pieces are, you have to search down all the right little trinkets to put even that, that box that's like, you know, it's, it's smaller than a bread box, you know, just to build that involves hours and hours of finding the right pieces and putting it together. But, you know, and then the, the, on the back, um, where, where he puts the, the, um, the plutonium in. And then Mr. Fusion is on there later. Mr. Fusion is a is a super rare now, super expensive because of the movie Krupp's Coffee Grinder. You know, so they put this coffee grinder and they put a little label on it that says Mr. Fusion, which you have to you have to recreate the label. You have to get this coffee grinder that's now several hundred dollars to buy one (laughs) on eBay um, because of the movie. Um and then the thing underneath it. Um, was uh, like a a computer, a piece of computer hardware from the late '60s, early '70s. That there's only a handful of in the world. Um, so that I think they used a real one on the original car, but almost all of the other cars in the movies and all the replicas have like a fiberglass casting of one. Uh, you know, a bunch of the pipes and the weird little parts and giant resistor-looking pieces and stuff back there are things that they got off of aircraft out of an aircraft junkyard there's pieces of like a of uh you know uh, military helicopter stuff on there and there's old airplane stuff on there and (laughs) it's just this conglomeration of stuff that when they built it the prop guys went out to the prop stores and bought stuff out of their junk bins and went to the aircraft junkyard and bought stuff off of old planes and helicopters and cobbled it together, you know, to look like the drawing they were given. Now guys that are building replicas have to follow that. Exactly. You have to not only follow that exactly, or, you know, make replicas of these parts that are now super rare, hard to find and expensive. Right. Um. But you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's even with the Mad Max cars to a lesser degree, because there's a lot less pieces and parts, but, but, those movies were made so long ago that something that you might find in junk shop, you know, or fairly easily then now that it's uh, you know, really difficult to find stuff. So, uh, you know, 50, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later, depending on what movie you're replicating, the, the little bits and pieces that were something found, someone found at, as a, like I said, picked up at a junk shop or at a swap meet or whatever, right. or whatever, they're now difficult to find these pieces. And fortunately, there's on like the the DeLorean time machine. There's guys who've studied every single piece of it. So you know, if we had to go back and recreate it from scratch, it would be very, very difficult.
0: Now, something you said before we were recording, just to kind of give context to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The guy, I, we don't, I don't know who that guy was. So somebody knocked on the door. You it was admiring your car. You let him in. We got a quick tour of the place, and you were talking to him, right? And when we were coming back in, you offhandedly said you've watched Mad Max frame by frame. Oh, yeah, for maybe seven, twelve times. I can't remember the number, but it was it was more than once. Yeah. And so you're you're you guys are studying these movies frame by frame to to ensure that you know what you're looking because I mean, as it flies by at 60 frames a second or whatever it is, you know, I think it's probably you're looking at, you're breaking that thing down into 60. I mean, that's, that's crazy attention to detail.
1: Yeah, it is. And you know, we don't, uh, we don't, I mean, I guess I've looked at every frame of the movie. Um, If there's not a car in it, I've probably gone through pretty quick. When I say I've watched it frame by frame, I think maybe the complete movie once frame by frame. That's crazy. Um, But, But the bulk of the movie, multiple times, any scene there's a car in, I've watched frame by frame, any scene where he's holding a, like if Mel Gibson is holding a prop, like a pair of binoculars or when he's eating out of the dog food can or whatever. Yeah. I've watched all of those parts frame by frame. Cause you know, we're always interested in the props. And sometimes when we're building a car, someone says, well, can you put these props in there? You know, anything that relates to it. So there's a lot of work to study. Yeah. I mean, I've literally watched the movie hundreds of times just cause I enjoy watching it. But when you get to, uh, When you get to studying for the movie, we not only watch it frame by frame, but we also go through and do screen grabs frame by frame and make a build book. Um, The the Mad Max Interceptor, now we've done it enough times we don't really have to refer to it anymore. But but uh, when we started and any car that we're doing for the first time or, you know, if we've only done it once or twice, there's a folder full of screen captures of every little detail that gets a close up and wide shots of the car and you know every every frame not every frame it appears in but you know if you if there's like a 20 second segment and you get two or three good angles of the car then out of a 20 second segment we might end up with three images that capture different things okay you know and we look for the best one the least blurry you know, because cars are moving, there's bound to be one where you can see the parts you want to see. Um, so we make these build books and we add to that uh, beside, behind the scenes photos if we can get it. Um, and we'll also even go to the effort of contacting people who built the cars or were involved like the transportation director and, uh, you know, the the picture car coordinator and stuff are like they, that. Are they cooperative as, as a rule? I mean, uh, not as a rule, no, but uh, most of the time they're glad to talk about you know they're you're glad to talk about it if you're not a crazy fan bugging them like irritating them right. um you know they, they they most of these guys don't don't uh they're not they're not afraid to talk about these things they desire to talk about some of this cool stuff they don't have a chance to that much you know okay. so somebody like us who's got a legitimate reason, but's also kind of a wacko, whack, whack job fan. Um, you know, it's fun for them to talk about it and go into detail with somebody who understands the technicalities of the stuff that they did, you know? So let's talk about the fans
0: because in passing conversation or reading on your, you guys have thrown some events, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we put on some and we're also go to others that aren't put on by us. Okay. So, um, we got involved in doing fan events. The first one we put on was in 2007. Uh, we put on the first Road War Northwest. Um, so Road War Northwest was based on um, a series of events that have been being done by uh, a gentleman named uh, uh, Carl Um And he is also really well known. He d- does Mad Max so he's a he's a famous costumer. Um, he sells his own clothing. I encourage you to look him up if you like post apocalyptic wear and and gear, Mad Max themed costume items or any of that kind of stuff. He also makes other cool clothing, but mm-hmm. he's a good guy to search out. Uh, he was instrumental in starting Wasteland Weekend, which I'll talk about in a second. But before he did that, he he did an event called uh, I think his was Road War One Hundred One, which was named after the Highway One Hundred One that they did the the event on, and it consisted of. A group of cars getting together that are kind of Mad Max-themed replicas and stuff. Um, another element is like celebrity guests. Um, viewing the movies is another element. And, uh, and the biggest element, the coolest one that was part of this whole Road War USA thing, was the movie replica cars, Would they'd hire a guy driving a tanker truck. And they would emulate the tanker chase at the end of the movie, in Mad Max 2, on a highway somewhere in America usually going from where they had their car show and ending it where they're going to watch the movie so uh, there have been several of these one-off events and <coughs> a lot of fun stories included in there including 12 guys known as the Texas 12 now who got arrested for doing this this event because they got a whole bunch of complaints to the police that there was a armed uh, militant people attacking a gas tanker <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they threw him in jail, but fortunately, they got out the next day. It was a hassle, but anyway. So so we put on this event. We called it Road War Northwest because we didn't want it tied to the specific highway. Um, but uh, we, in 2007, we did it at a local museum uh, called the Lemay Family Collection. Now, um, there's all they the, the Lemay family also has another museum called America's Car Museum, but that came along later. Right. Anyway, so uh, they. Uh, they invited us to host uh, the car show portion of our event at their annual car show, which has been going on now for, then it was, I think in its uh, like 37th or 38th year or something like that. Anyway, it's over 40 now, but, uh. But uh, but they invited us to come out to their museum and have our event there. So we had Mad Max cars. We also had a handful of other movie cars. Um, so even from the first year, it was Road War Northwest and the Star Car Conquers Classic. So and which basically is to say that all movie cars are welcome at this this event, right. basically. Um, and we do judging based on the American Movie Car Association judging rules and stuff and all of that. Wait
0: which is, wait wait! There's an association for movie cars and with rules for judging. Yes. See, I am so out of my element. This topic is not it's fascinating, but it's not. I'm very. I'm not knowledgeable at all. So wow, there's rules. Okay, cool. Go on. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, I interrupt. Go. That,
1: that's a, that's another thing I'd be glad to go into at some point. But oh my yeah. gosh. Um, so when we started this event, we decided to have a three day event. Um, with uh, because people came, were coming from all over the country to come to this and even some from Canada so it was international um, mm-hmm. that's uh, it's the international movie and TV vehicle owners Association is the club that kind of is now the caretaker of this event so so okay. Anyway, so, uh, so we had this, this in 2007. Incidentally, we planned to build the XA Bat, which is my car. We started building it about seven months before the event. So it was a crash course and build that car for the event. So, and it was premiered there. Uh, the, the first day we had an evening event with a concert, like a rock concert with a band called the Blacktop Demons, which was kind of Mad Max themed, um, rockabilly, rockabilly, uh, blues rock band um, and a costume contest with everybody dressed up in costume Uh costumes again they're they're an integral part usually of most mad max themed events so we did that the night before the day of we had the car show from oh i think it was like seven to five seven a.m to five p.m with the car show that and not only was the mad max car there and the uh, the Interceptor and the Red XA Bat, but a uh, uh, kit from Knight Rider was there. There was a General Lee there. There was uh, a Flintstone mobile there. <laughs> there was, uh, you know, there was a bunch of cars there and a bunch of uh, what now is called like Wasteland themed or post-apocalyptic themed cars, which are look like cars from the Mad Max films, but are like creations of the owner. Sure. You know, you could throw them into a Mad Max movie and they'd be a perfect place, but they're not a replica of right. anything you'd see on screen. Right. Um so it was this mix of cars. So we had the car show till five. At five, we left the car show, drove to a, a now gone drive-in movie theater that was called the uh, the Valley Six. It was like six drive-ins in one down in uh, down in Auburn, Auburn, a town near here. Sad, it's gone, but cool place. We went there and, uh, and uh, oh, uh, Vernon Wells, the guy who plays Wes in Mad Max Two, he also played Bennett in Commando. He's a, he's a great character actor from Australia. Um, was there as our special guest. So he rode along in The Interceptor. He signed autographs at the show and gave away Mad Max merchandise. Then we went to the movies, and he actually did an announcement over the the speaker system b- before Mad Max 2 introducing it. So we're watching the films, and turns out the lady that I talked to who booked the films managed to get the Australian print of both Mad Max 1 and Mad Max 2. There's some, there's some differences. So everyone sitting there watching it who was in the note was like, these are the Australian versions of the movie. Awesome. So we did that. And then there was like a goodbye breakfast the following day. So, and, and we've put this event on every year since 2007, both, the um, Road War Northwest and the Sarkar Conquers Classic. Um, so now uh, we it's we've been done a one day event since the first year but every uh, so but since then uh, you know a bunch of other events have popped up but we're the longest running Mad Max themed event in the world annual Mad Max themed event in the world and the longest running multi genre movie and TV car event in the world
0: so when do you normally what month is this normally it's held it's
1: almost always the last saturday of august in fact other than this most recent year other than 21 it's been the last Saturday of August every year. Okay. And up until 2020, it was at the LeMay Museum every year, but they were closed for COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, we did uh, did a, a social distance version of sure. the event uh, both this year and last year. Um, but we did it anyway because we wanted to keep the consistency of the annual event. So,
0: so do you think moving forward you'll go once, once normalcy – That's an interesting word to say, but, you know, normalcy is restored. Do you think once social distancing is no longer needed, you'll go
1: back to LeMay or will you guys? That's a tough call because we've had really amazing success having it here at the shop in this parking lot. This year, in fact, we broke it into two. There's a if you want to check out our YouTube channel, there's videos of almost every year on there. But we broke it into two two events this year. Uh, In early June, we had a car show and the car show. Not only had movie and TV cars, but like LeMay, they have a ton of other cars because it's their annual show as well. But we put on a big car show here because we have a ton of non movie car clients and friends. Okay. And, and, and there's a whole cruising scene that's developing because of COVID. Okay. Um, so it was an enormous event. It was so big that this whole parking lot, all four buildings around the, every single parking spot and in front of a bunch of the roll up doors. And I mean, the whole parking lot, literally we couldn't fit any more cars in here. Wow. We had to turn cars away for a couple hours. Um, and once a few people started leaving, we started telling people, okay, come on in. There's probably a space. If you don't find one, just cruise around, enjoy the show. If you find a spot, great park. Okay. You know? But anyway, so that part one was this massive car show. And we had movie and TV cars there, all the ones in the shop, plus a bunch of others. And the wasteland cars came up. Okay. Um, so we had that. And then um, in... September early September we did a cruise so we got all of the Mad Max themed cars together and a couple of the other movie cars that were available and we went out and joined uh there's a town near here called Enumclaw yep. um that uh, has a Friday night cruise once a month in fact there's this is happening all over the country that the whole like cruising is popping back popping up of it um But, uh, so we went out there and joined their Friday night cruise and brought the movie cars out and kind of did a a mobile road war thing, um, that day. So other than that, it's been a one day event, but, uh, so, so it's going to be tough. Next year, it'll be tough. If COVID's gone away, uh, it'll be a tough call whether we're going to go back to LeMay, uh, have a, Have an event here or do both. Or do both. Yeah. Okay. Because the people at LeMay have come to expect to see the movie cars, for sure. We've become an amenity that a lot of the people that come there like to see. So,
0: Okay. So, we could could go on and on and on about what you guys are doing, but to keep our episodes kind of where they need to be time-wise, this is the part where we transition. So, when you're not doing what it is you do, in this case, cars, what do you do for what's entertainment for you? What, what's what tell us a little bit more about you. What are you doing? I'm sitting next to your. <laughs> my 14 year old wolf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's uh, so. I, Who's I got, asleep next to
1: me. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm married to an amazing woman who supported me through everything. Um, you know, we've, we've been married a quite, quite a few years now. We, we met back in 2000. So she was actually by my side as the whole at max thing just started to develop and has, supported me through all this crazy is she a mad max fan um yes and no not as nutty as i am she does <laughs> she does enjoy cool cars and that kind of thing but no she doesn't go off the, the deep end like she's I not do.
0: watching it frame by frame no
1: <laughs> okay no, but you know once in a while she's more than willing to throw on a cool post-apocalyptic costume and join the fun at road at war northwest or whatever okay um but uh you know she's been super supportive but yeah she's she's uh so I'd say that's probably the most important thing in my life is family, which means my wife and my dogs. Okay. Um, so we have two dogs. We have a 14-year-old gray wolf or uh, timber wolf. She's she's black, but if you type into Google black timber wolf, you'll see pictures of, of animals that look just like her. Um, she's a really sweet dog for being a wolf. Um, and we also have a three-year-old uh, mastiff. Um, and he is, uh, he's about twice her size, both in weight and uh, dimension. Anyway, uh, so we have those dogs. So I love spending time with my dogs and my wife. Um, I'm a collector of stuff. I collect records. Um, I, I have a couple of cars of my own. Obviously that's going back into this hobby, but, mm-hmm. um, I collect movie memorabilia, music memorabilia. Um, so what genre of music? Uh, heavy metal, mostly. Heavy metal? Heavy metal, okay. hard rock. Um, okay. but I delve into some other stuff, punk. Uh, I, you know, I, I like a little bit of everything. You know, I like everything from opera and classical to super hardcore punk and thrash metal and black metal and stuff. Cause you were in a band before. I, I've been in several bands. So that was what I was going to transition to is uh, <clears> that. One of the other things that I spend a lot of time doing has been uh, the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've owned and operated a 16-track analog recording studio since the late 80s. Um, well, I guess the 16-track came along in the mid 80s, in the mid 90s. But okay. I've been recording since since the 80s. Um, been doing live sound and reinforcement since the 80s. Been playing in a in in a band that. Uh, the rocket which was a magazine that used to be popular oh Seattle, my gosh music the scene. rocket yeah the rocket was basically the seattle's music newspaper for yeah. years and years they called my band r.i.p uh what did they say they said the the biggest and most important cult movement in local music i think is what they said or something very much to that effect. okay um so, was that the band
0: that was referenced in rusted and brian naren's and james beach 's book rusted metal it was and yeah. i 'm skipping two of the other authors sorry guys i can 't remember your names but there 's four off, four contributors to that book so i I, I know two yes <laughs> yeah. amazing
1: so, guys, all four of them are really cool, amazing guys. that book is amazing if you 're a music enthusiast and want to know about Northwest Rock and metal. Um, there's another podcast that you can find right here on this channel that's amazing about the book. The book itself is amazing. I'd pick it up. Their it's label. heavy.
0: It's too heavy to pick up,
1: man. Yeah, it's like it's,
0: 900 pages long.
1: It's, it's like, uh, if you're as old as I am, it's about equivalent to the white pages in Seattle. Yeah. Or an book. old
0: Sears catalog. Yeah. It's a massive tome.
1: Yeah. It's a massive tome. There's about a seven page article on us in there. Okay. Uh, their record label does a ton of good music, but so. So RIP, you guys are back together yeah so we formed in 87 um and we played regularly with lots of lineup changes i'll let you read the book for the history but (laughs) but uh played what was kind of our last gig before we went on a lengthy hiatus in 95 so 87 to 95 not quite 10 years i guess and then uh in 2013 we got back together um and uh and and uh to great success. So we're still, we're still playing. Unfortunately, um, we did have, uh, our lead guitar player passed away in a motorcycle wreck just recently. So, Mm. um, we are working on putting together a tribute record in his honor, which was going to be the record we were recording with him with all of our new material. Um, but we're going to do it as a tribute record now, but what instrument do you play? Um, I'm the singer. You're the singer of the band. Okay. Yeah. I play rhythm guitar a little bit. Okay. Um, but we have a rhythm guitar player, a lead guitar player, bass player, drummer, and myself as a singer. So we're five piece. Okay. Um, we're a face painted theatrical band. I think somewhere in between Kiss slash Alice Cooper and Guar, if you're familiar with Guar. So we're kind of somewhere in the middle of that. Um, a lot of our lyrics are kind of environmental, socio political commentary. Um, but sort of from a scared straight point of view. So we started off kind of as a death metal band and, um, as i was searching for searching for lyrical content uh, i, I st- stumbled upon nuclear war and toxic waste environmental degradation and that kind of stuff and started writing these uh scared straight environmental tunes you know save the earth or die with it kind of theme okay um and so, uh, and we do on stage, we do magic and pyrotechnics and, um, you know, the, the climax of the show ever since our first gig has been killing all of the band members by slitting their throats with a giant Bowie knife and leading leaving them dead and bleeding on the stage, uh, before then killing myself the same way. Um, okay. Uh, in this latest reunion though, we added, uh, the theme of our, our album that unfortunately because of our, because Eric Griswold passed, um that's been aborted for now, but the theme of the album was going to be called back from the grave. Okay. Um, so that was kind of the theme of our tour. So we added that tune would be our, our like encore. And when we'd come back from the dead and play as we bled all over the stage. Um, <laughs> okay. But you know, this is after bringing a severed head out that bleeds all over the stage. And anyway, so it's a theatrical heavy metal, kind of Alice Cooper meets guar experience. Okay. With uh with a uh, conscience. So
0: here's <laughs> so when when I talk to musicians I I have a some each type of episode has kind of some some questions. So I'm going to switch over to like treating you like a musician now. Sure, lay it on me. As a musician, and this is Washington these are Washington state based questions. Okay. As a musician, what's the coolest venue you performed at? Or if, yeah, like like yeah, what's the coolest venue you've performed at?
1: Oh man, the coolest venue I've performed at in Seattle
0: or it's in Washington. It can be Seattle. That's fine. But you uh, know, well,
1: Yeah. Um Boy, there were so many cool ones. Probably the coolest venue, and this is gonna be pretty obscure, but uh but the the number one, I'll get to number two because that's gonna be more recognizable. But number one was uh uh uh, a place called, uh, uh, I think it was called Lakeview School it was out by a kind of, uh, 180th and, and, uh, uh, that was right off the freeway on 180th, kind of. They had a big theater there that we rented out and I put on a show there with RIP, uh, headlined over by a band called Rottweiler, which was a pretty big Seattle metal band at one point. It's unsigned, but like yeah. near the tier of would have been signed and then opened by a band called Villain, which was in the, uh, ni- early 90s was a popular metal band. It was a huge theater. Okay. Um, with a massive stage. So I loved it from the, from the, the building standpoint. I think the coolest show that we've played um probably was that last show in 95 we played at a place called mo's mo rock and cafe which is the building is called Numos now
0: yeah, yeah. okay um, okay i
1: don't know how much they've remodeled Numos because i haven't been in there i don't think since it's been Numos, but it was a really cool place that you know was just packed to the gills we were opening for a local band called the super suckers oh yeah um, okay i've which, I have heard of them yeah so they're the interesting thing you know we were we were not mega popular, but we were like the band's band. Uh-huh. So bands like the Super Suckers and the Best Kissers in the World and Stickerbush and 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 like the Sleep Capsule that you know the 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 a lot of the bands from Seattle that weren't necessarily the grunge acts. We were kind of like the their favorite band or you know one of their. Okay. Guilty pleasures, or I don't know how you <laughs> want to define it, but
0: all right. So now we're going to flip that question. Uh-huh. As a fan, uh-huh. where's the coolest venue to see music at
1: that you've been? Oh man, um, you know the big arenas are cool in their way, and they have a, they have a great feel. But I would say like it's got to be a toss up for me between the Moore Theater and the Paramount Theater. Probably okay. Those all are right. the kind of places I really like. Big enough to have a big show um in the day they were dilapidated enough to have a small show, like a relatively small show yeah. um nowadays they've been yeah, nice. remodeled and they you know yeah. they host pretty big dollar things whenever something goes through there but i'd say those two are probably my favorite i've seen some really cool local shows and some really cool national touring acts in both shows, both yeah, both, both are, theaters okay um and I would have loved to play either one. We just never had the yeah. opportunity. Th- that to play was this. that's
0: my third question. I "Okay, where yeah. would you aspire to play?" So the Paramount are are, are more big yeah. answers there. Okay,
1: I would have loved to play the Kingdom. You know, I would oh, have. Oh no, <laughs> no, come and on. Even if we were like, you know, I
0: mean, from a size standpoint, but from a Sonic standpoint, oh, back from then, a sound standpoint, uh, yeah, those
1: two are both amazing places. Uh, from a from an acoustics standpoint, yeah,
0: yeah, but not the not the Kingdom. No, no, yeah, that Kingdom was just it was horrible. It I've,
1: might have been okay today because audio reinforcements gotten better yeah
0: but when that building was standing
1: the i saw sh- the monsters of rock tour there and it wasn't too bad if you were on the floor but okay. i mean that's we're talking 80s technology sound reinforcement i mean if led zeppelin had played there or something it would have been awful yeah you right. know they would have been awesome but the sound would have been horrible <laughs> um i i saw i saw the spin doctor do you want to talk about the worst sound ever I went to a Thunderbirds game back in the, uh, the arena years ago before it got remodeled Uh and they, they pulled the stage out on the ice after the hockey game and the spin doctors played. And I was just lucky enough to, to be sitting in a a front row seat. A guy that I knew from work had season tickets long enough that he had a front row behind the home goal. And we were sitting there behind the glass. It was great for the hockey game. When the band started playing, it was just bouncy, muddy, nothing. You couldn't tell what song we had to go up almost to the nosebleed seats to even be able to tell what song they were playing. And it was still horrible. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I've seen some bands in that arena back in the eighties and yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good when it's not full of plexiglass and ice.
1: It's a lot better.
0: Yeah. But still even then. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's, I guess we'll wrap up with this question. So for the future for Mad Max cars and and you guys, what, what do you think the future looks like? What do you guys want to do? What's what's next?
1: What's next? well, You know, uh, next for us has really been kind of continuing on with the Mad Max stuff, which there's been a huge resurgence because of the Fury Road movie. When that came out in 2015, our phone kind of hasn't stopped ringing since. Oh, really? So, more of the same as far as the Mad Max cars and the other movie and TV replica cars. Okay. Look forward to the day when somebody calls and wants us to build, uh, you know, a replica from Fury Road and has enough money to make it happen, you know, because those are, are even more intricate builds. Um but we're really really expanding um the uh, the hot rod side of the business doing hot rods and restoring classic uh, muscle cars and antiques and stuff like that. So I think that the big future for us is continuing to build movie cars more and faster mm-hmm. um and really increasing the the volume of what we do with regular muscle cars okay. and continuing to get involved in that part of the hobby.
0: So I'll put some links in the show notes to for like, can people like you mentioned your YouTube channel things like that what didn't i ask you that i should have asked
1: you oh um boy we've been over so much um i think you covered it pretty well i mean uh yeah i think you covered it pretty well i don't know what i would add okay i could uh, we've touched on almost everything i could certainly go into more detail in a lot of things but uh but I think you covered everything and we got a little brush of the surface of most of the aspects of yeah. what we do. I,
0: I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, you know, if I can go out into the shop and take a couple of quick shots of a couple of cars, just, I know they might be clients, but maybe we'll just be able to for, we haven't talked about, there's one car sitting in the shop right now that is a, is a Batmobile replica. And for someone as old as I am, the, the Batmobile is kind of a, a very nostalgic uh, vehicle to see that sitting there. was kind of, like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: You know, yeah. that's one of my favorites. I guess that that figures into the, uh, you know, how did you fall in love with Mad Max, which I guess is a question I get a lot, but you sure. didn't particularly ask. But the short answer ties in the Batmobile. When I was a kid, I loved the Batman reruns. You know, I was a kid in the the seventies yeah. mostly. I know. I saw I saw a little bit of the sixties, but not enough <laughs> to remember much. Um yeah. but they were in reruns in the seventies. So Batman, Dukes of Hazard, Knight Rider, yeah. Sarsky and Hutch, those kind of things were part of my childhood and i loved cars from that stuff so probably if you had asked me then it would have been a toss-up between the knight rider car and the general lee right right but then i saw mad max and my whole life changed okay so batmobile absolutely that's one of my first loves that one in the knight rider car and the General Lee are all kind of like you know loved those cars so i, I totally agree 66 adam west era batmobile um so what's that what's that based on car what's that car so that particular car um the 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 what it's built on um is a uh, 1976 Lincoln Mark 4 okay but all that's left of that car is the floor pan and part of the firewall and the vin number the oh. chassis is all custom the body is completely custom and uh for those of you who there's a ton of info out here, there on that, but just to whet your appetite, and if you're a Batmobile fan, to get people to start looking into it, it was based on a um, concept car that Ford built in 1955 called the Lincoln Futura. Oh, and if you look up the you know the you know Lincoln Futura, um, you'll see a car that looks kind of like the Batmobile, but you can see, you can see that DNA in it. George Barris ended up getting that car. It was used in a movie called "It Started with a Kiss." And then retired after being on the car show circuit. It was used in one movie and then retired. They sold it to George Barris for one dollar, even though they probably spent I think the I think it was like a million and a half building it and they sold it for one dollar because they were done using it. Most of those kind of cars were crushed and scrapped. But then George Barris got the call shortly after getting the car that to build the Batmobile and said, this is a perfect car to modify into the Batmobile. So that's that's kind of what the car is based on that's very
0: cool all right well thank you for letting me come here today and sit down with you and talk and it's i've been this is very cool to me so i appreciate it and uh i look forward to hearing more about you guys awesome
1: well thank you for having me it was a lot of fun